Well, I had fully intended to cover the rest of chapter 17, but we're not going to make it as I began to put the study together. I found there was just too much in verses 14 through 21. Well, we're going to make it 23 tonight. But in those first few verses, there was just too much just to, to go too quickly over. And I think we can learn and grow from that. So far in the book of Matthew, we've seen a lot, but we've heard Jesus speak about the kingdom of heaven. We've seen Jesus reveal himself to the disciples as the Messiah, the Son of Man. He has told them he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things. He would be killed, but then he would rise again on the third day. As we pick up tonight in verses 14 through 21, we're going to see Jesus teaching his disciples about faith. All the way through chapter 20, he's going to begin teaching his disciples about these principles, the way that a Christian should be living. And tonight we're going to look at faith. So if you'll follow along as I read Matthew 17, verses 14 through 21, then we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, And it will move, And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. If you remember last week, Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, they were on the mountaintop. They were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Those three disciples were blessed with the opportunity to see Jesus in his glorified state. They watched and they spoke as Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah. What a sight it must have been. When Peter didn't know what to say, he suggested something. He said, hey, why don't we build three tabernacles? We'll build one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. But before he was finished speaking, the cloud rolled in. The glory of God, the Shekinah glory, overtook them. And before Peter got done speaking, they heard, this is my beloved son, hear him. Peter, stop talking and listen. What a good lesson that is for many of us. What did they do? They fell on their face in terror. They were scared to death. They fell on their face. And I could imagine why. I think I would be the same way if God had to correct me verbally. Could you imagine that? Right there in front of everybody. Stop talking, Peter. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to what he has to say. On the way back down the mountain. Oh, then they fell on their face. When Jesus came over, he raised them up, we're told. And they were walking back down the mountain. On the way back down the mountain, they were talking about Elijah. And suddenly they're met with a crowd of people. The people are all around. According to Mark's gospel, the crowd had gathered around the remaining apostles. The nine that were left behind, eight that were left behind, right? No, there's 12. Nine nine were left behind. Math is a little rusty tonight. Nine that were left behind, the scribes, they were there asking them questions, confronting them. Suddenly, a man comes to Jesus, and he kneels down before him. Kneeling is an act of reverence. It's a great posture for prayer, and it's a place of subservience. 
That's where you're underneath of somebody. This man comes to Jesus. He kneels down before him. And notice what he said to Jesus. He said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire, and often into the water. The words, Lord, have mercy. Kiri Eliezer, it's a Chris Tomlin song. He made a song after it. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. It means it means it. Give us favor, Lord. Show us favor. Have mercy upon us. Do something for us. Show us something favorable here. Can you help me, Lord? Have mercy upon us. Now, the King James Version calls this boy a lunatic. The ESV Version describes him as having seizures. And here in the New King James, it describes him as being epileptic. And I need to be clear on something because this has happened. Don't for a moment think that everybody who has seizures, or has ep- who has epilepsy, is demon-possessed. Not, not, not everybody sick needs a demon cast out of them. We need to understand that because that has happened. Clearly in this case, the demon is what was causing the seizures. That's what the scriptures are telling us here. Listen to how Mark writes it. Mark writes, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Seizures can also be caused by a number of medical reasons. In this case, it's demonic that's causing the seizures. And when the demon causes the seizures, it will throw him into a fire. It will throw him into a body of water. It will cause him to gnash his teeth. It's a sight that is probably not very, uh, probably not very much fun to watch. It's probably rather scary, actually. So evidently, these nine disciples who were left behind had been trying to cast out this demon. They had given it their best shots, but they were unsuccessful. And now the boy's father, he comes to Jesus. He appeals to Jesus. Lord, have mercy on my son. Now I have to wonder, how hard did they try? How much effort did they really put into it? Was it just a prayer of, all right, Lord, cast out this demon and nothing happened, so I'm done? Or did they pray several times? How much effort was really put into this? How persistent were they? Well, either way, we know at some point they quit because they weren't trying to cast him out when Jesus came down the mountain. They were, being, they, were talking to, they were talking with the scribes. That's an important lesson for us because sometimes Jesus' followers will fail. Don't you know that to be true? But understand this, Jesus never fails. Sometimes the followers, the pastors, the leaders, the disciples, they'll fail. But Jesus never fails. Over the course of history, many people have been disgruntled with a church that failed to meet their needs. I needed something and the church wasn't there for me. They didn't help me in my deepest need. They became disgruntled with people who were unable or failed to live up to the standard of the scriptures that they held so dearly. Listen carefully and understand this. The people of God, yes, we're Christians, but we will fail too. We're not perfect, that we're human. As a pastor at some point, I will promise you that I will fail to live up to your expectation. Either I won't be there when you think I should be, I may say the wrong thing, I may say something I wasn't supposed to. At some point you're going to look at me and go, you're not not doing what I think you should do. I'm just telling you, if it hasn't happened already, it will happen because I'm human. I will fall short. But understand something, Jesus will never fail you. Ever will he fail you. This is why that we don't depend upon the church or the people, but we depend upon the Lord and only the Lord. If your hope is in the church, When they fail to meet your need according to your wish or how you think they should, you're going to end up disappointed. And you're going to look at God and say, God failed me. 
because the church didn't meet my need. And eventually you'll be disgruntled with God. Put your faith in the Lord first and not the church. Put your faith in him. We don't depend upon the church. Yes, the Lord may use his church to meet your need. But then again, he may use somebody else. And then again, he may choose not to meet that need at all because he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to show you something. You may say, why didn't the church help me here? They should have helped me here. And he said, well, I didn't want them to help you there because I want to show you something about yourself. I want to reveal something to you. It's, it's you and me here. I want to work with you and me on this. I want to show you something. And if you turn around and get mad at the person or the church or whoever you think is supposed to meet your need, and God says, no, 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 don't, don't do that. You're, you're going to end up mad at me over this, and, and I'm just trying to teach you. The pastor who brought me up in ministry, he wasn't a real hands-on guy. He didn't have a lot to say. He wasn't always calling me. He never gave me a lot of assignments to do, but what he did for me, what he taught me was the most valuable thing I've ever learned. He, told me not, he taught me not to rely on him, but to rely on the Lord. I would go to him with the question, and he would simply say, go home and pray about it. Ask God, what is God telling you to do? Well, I don't want to ask God. I want, I want you to tell me what to do. He said, I, don't, I can give you an answer, but God's going to give you his answer. Which one do you want? Now, I'm not talking about theological questions. I'm talking about life questions, following the Lord type questions. I quickly found out when we moved to Cumberland, I'm here to plant a church. I had nobody. didn't know a single person. But you know what I learned? The Lord's there for me. The Lord called me. The Lord met every need along the way. And I'm not talking, yes, physical, but even spiritual needs. He met me every step along the way. When I needed something, he was there. He directed every step. And I, I continued to, Lord, what do I do? How do I do it? When do I do it? And I would just pray and pray. And as the Lord would move on my heart, I would take the next step into ministry. Take the next step. Take, people were calling me from back home. Hey, when are you going to start that church? When the Lord tells me to. Well, how do you know when he's going to tell you to? I don't know, but I'll just know. Well, how, you, how, how are you sure? What's it going to sound like? I don't know what it's going to sound like. I'm waiting on the Lord. It's an important thing to learn, and it's definitely necessary. The people of God will fail you, but the Lord will never fail you. Don't ever forget that. People will always fall short of your expectation. You, a lot of times, we can't even live up to our own expectations. We place the expectation on somebody else, but we're not doing it. God will never fall short. He will always be there for you. He might not always do what you want, but he's always going to be there for you. Trust this. He will always do what's best for you, both here and now and also in eternity. Notice Jesus' response. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebukes the disciples in the crowd. He calls them faithless and perverse. I can't help but wonder if the disciples tried to cast out this demon by following some prescribed method they'd seen Jesus do before. Well, you got to say this and pray this way and, and follow this prescription. Perhaps they watched Jesus do it before and we're going to do it just like he did it. Notice that Jesus is grieved at the blindness and the faithlessness of God's people, Israel, but especially his disciples. He's grieved at their faithlessness. After all, he'd personally chosen them. He taught them, and he endowed them with the unique power and authority. He gave them the power over demons, didn't he? He didn't just give them the power over all the demons except this one. He gave them power over demons. Shouldn't faith in God be easy? Shouldn't it be, when you look at things in life... How much proof do we really need that there's a God? The, the fulfillment of prophecy, 
The creation of heaven and earth, the miracle of human life, the complexities of the human body, all working together at the precise time. His past faithfulness in your life. Shouldn't faith be so simple? But yet it's so complicated, yet it's so difficult. Shouldn't the faith be obvious? He says, this generation, to his very own disciples, you're faithless and you're perverted. And the word for perverted means twisted out of shape. It was used to describe a piece of pottery that a lazy craftsman had misshaped. It's twisted, it's out of shape. Although many of his listeners were morally perverted, Jesus was speaking primarily of spiritual perversion, that, the inevitable in those, that it's inevitable in those who are unbelieving. It's, it, they, they, they got their faith twisted. The disciples' faith was twisted, it was out of shape. It wasn't, it wasn't where it should be. Apparently, this boy wasn't standing there with his father because Jesus said, bring him to me. Perhaps he was off in the back of the crowd. Perhaps he had to go home and get him. We're not sure. He says, bring him to me. And in there in verse 18, what happens? It says, Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. The demon had no choice in the matter. But another gospel tells us that before the demon departed, the evil spirit made one last attempt to destroy the boy. It says this, crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead, he's dead. One last time before he left, the demon threw the boy on the ground, convulsed him. When he finally left, he was left laying there. Now imagine the scene with me. Here comes dad bringing his son in front of the crowd. Imagine what this boy looked like. He's the boy who'd been thrown into the fire. Have you ever seen anybody that's been burned? The scars that burns leave behind. I imagine the boy with burns all over his body. I imagine him not very pleasant to look at. The demon's throwing him into the fire. I imagine him all scarred up, even maybe some fresh ones. Maybe some recent burns. And Mark records Jesus saying to the demon, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more, no more. I'm going to throw you out and you're not allowed back. You're, you're out permanently. That's it. No more. And one last time on the ground, he goes, I bet the crowd took a big step back. I bet you heard the, <gasps> as this was unfolding on the ground, he grows crying, screaming, yelling, convulsing, and then silence. He's laying there. They think he's dead. He's dead. And then Mark again tells us Jesus took him by the hand lifted him up, and he arose. What a beautiful sight that is. All of a sudden, this boy, now he could play like other boys. No fear of suddenly being thrown into the fire or burned and burned or thrown into the water and perhaps drowned. He would have no more seizures, no more foaming at the mouth, no more gnashing his teeth. All of a sudden, he became normal. And I can't help wonder, do you think Jesus healed all his scars too? Do you think when he healed him, he touched him? All of the scars were gone. If there were any, I'm sure there were if you're being thrown into a fire. All of, I, I don't know. That's, that's a question that you can ask, answer in your mind. The scriptures don't tell us. Now, all of a sudden, he was normal, so to speak. Now playing like all the other kids. And that left the disciples as they're watching this. How do you think they felt? They're embarrassed. Why couldn't they do this? Later on, they asked him about the situation. Look there at verse 19. He says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, why could we not cast it out? How come we couldn't do it, Jesus? So Jesus said to them, 
because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed and you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Why couldn't we do, why couldn't we do it, Jesus? What was the catch? Why, what, what was the reason? It should be obvious. He says, your unbelief. You couldn't do it because your unbelief. Because you failed because of the littleness of your faith. You, only, you didn't have enough faith to cast them out. I gave you the power to cast them out, but you didn't have enough faith to cast them out. It was not because you're... To- it, 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 let me see if I can say it. It wasn't a total lack of faith. It wasn't enough faith. They had some faith, but they didn't have enough faith. They had a saving faith. They had a trusting faith. Or they wouldn't have even tried. They had some faith. They, they gave it a shot. They, gave it an, they put forth an effort. We, can, we think we can do this. But they lacked sufficient faith to employ the power that Jesus had given them. What a scary place to be. Think about that in your life. Do I have the faith to employ the power that Jesus has given me? Do you have the faith to employ the power that Jesus has given you? Or are we missing out on what God might want to do because we only have a little bit of faith? Because we don't have enough faith. This is not the first time that we've heard Jesus challenge their faith. He's done that before in the book of Matthew. Let's just take a moment, travel back in time. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told the disciples, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry, I've got it all covered. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to I'll take care of you. I've got it all covered. Don't worry about any of that stuff. I'll provide for all of your physical needs. Now, he says that to us too, right? Yet, we still find ourselves worrying, don't we? We still find ourselves worrying about things. Then, in a fierce storm on the Sea of Galilee, what did the first thing they feared for? We're going to die. You're sleeping. We're going to die. Jesus rebuked the disciples before he calmed the waves, remember? He said, that, he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? That was Matthew chapter 8. Hey, you guys have little faith. Why are you so afraid? I told you we're going to the other side. I told you we're good on this. We're, we're, it's going to be okay. When Peter walked on on the water, he became afraid and began sinking. Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why are you doubting, Peter? And shortly before healing this demon-possessed boy in tonight's passage, remember what happened. Jesus again charged the disciples with having a little faith when they didn't expect him to have the ability to feed the multitude, the 4,000 near Magdala. He said, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? Can't you remember, oh, you of little faith? When I read this, I think, man, I'm guilty of this. The minute life gets tough, where's our faith? Where do we put it in? Yeah, they had faith after the Lord provided. Oh, they worshiped after the storm was calmed. They worshiped afterwards, after the sea was calmed, after the Lord cast out the demon. But they did not have faith in the face of the situation. Right now, as they're facing the difficulty, their faith wasn't enough to cast out the demon. When things were going well with the disciples and everything seemed to be under control, they found it easy to trust in the Lord. Praise Jesus. Everything's great. Love you, Lord. Everything's fantastic. But the moment things became uncertain or threatening, 
their faith withered. Does this sound like anybody you know? It does in ways, doesn't it? I'm like, man, I get it. I, I could be there. When we're healthy and our finances are in order, our faith is strong. But the moment we're in need, the moment we're, our life takes a turn that we weren't expecting, the moment something happens and the enemy begins to whisper a lie into your head, your faith is little and quickly gives way to doubts. The moment something doesn't go the way that you think it should, you begin to go, oh, where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Listen very carefully. Great faith trusts in God when there is nothing in the cupboard to eat and no money to buy food. Great faith says, my God will provide. Great faith trusts in God when your health is gone, when your job is gone, your reputation is gone, and perhaps even your family is gone. My God will be all that I need. My God will provide. Great faith trusts in God while the hurricane is still blowing outside. Not after it leaves and he saved you. Great faith trusts in God in the midst of it. Even when persecution is in progress. Great faith is, in the, is having faith in front of the situation. Jesus told them that if they had faith, he said, the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible for you. Now, if you take this literally, and I don't think it's meant to be taken literally, he's saying, if you had this much faith, you could move a mountain. Well, since you've never moved a mountain, you have less than this much faith. <laughs> think about it that way. A mustard seed starts out small but it grows into a large bush or a tree. That's what our faith should do. It starts out little. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. That, yes, you believe, but then our faith should continue to grow over our Christian walk. We should see it getting larger and larger. Mustard, mustard seed faith is a persistent faith. It continues to grow and become productive because it never gives up. It just keeps growing. It keeps growing. It keeps producing. I wonder... I wonder at what point the apostles gave up when trying to cast out this demon. I wonder where they threw their hands up and said, that's it, we can't do it. We're done. Sorry, we've got to go talk to the scribes over here. Let's go, let's go argue with them for a while. We can't help you. Sorry, bud. We tried. We gave it our best shot. I wonder how persistent they were. How many times did they try? The fact that they gave up proved their little faith. You see, I think that mustard seed faith, what Jesus is saying there is that's, that faith should have, their faith should have been persistent. They should, they should have continued on. He was telling them to pray more, to fast, bring out the serious, serious spiritual weapons. It's time to, don't just give up. The expression there, by the way, able to move mountains. It was a common figure of speech in that day that represented the ability to overcome great obstacles. When they said you were able to move mountains, it meant you were able to overcome great obstacles. Um, William Barclay said this, a great teacher who could really expound and interpret scripture and who could explain and resolve difficulties was regularly known as an uprooter or even a pulverizer of mountains. To tear up, to uproot, to pulverize mountains were all regular phrases for removing difficulties. Jesus never meant this to be taken physically and literally. After all, the ordinary man seldom finds any necessity to remove a mountain. What he meant was, if you have faith enough, all difficulties can be solved and even the hardest task can be accomplished. 
Faith in God is the instrument that allows men to remove the hills of difficulty which block their path. In the Christian life, in life in general, are there mountains, are there difficulties that block your path? Are there things that come up in life that you weren't expecting? What's the mountain? What's the difficulty standing in your way tonight? What's blocking your path in obedience to the Lord? What's keeping you from it? What's, what's keeping you from calling what God called you to do? Is it health? Is it finances? I don't have enough money, maybe. Is it a big decision that you're facing? That's the mountain before you. You're not sure what to do. What's keeping you? Is it your human ability to do what God is? Is it, I can't do what he's called me to do in my human ability? He's calling me to do something I can't do. Don't you understand? He wants to empower you to do it. He wants to strengthen you to do things that you can't do. That's when he gets glory. If you, if you don't need him to do it, 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 it's no glory for him. You can already do it in your own strength. What keeps us from facing these mountains in faith? And what, what do we do? Just give up like the apostles? They, well, I guess we couldn't cast that, mount, that demon out. That was the mountain before them. What mountain is before you? What is it that, that challenges your faith? Will you continue to pray and fast? Or just throw your hands up in the air and say, ah, I tried that. Didn't work out for me. You see, I'm convinced that in this life, we're going to face, and we already know, we've already faced many mountains. Do you have the faith in the beginning? Or are we just people who always look back and go, wow, God did it again, praise the Lord. It's good to give him glory at the end, but can we have the faith in the beginning to know, hey, God's got me in this. He's going to take care of me, and I don't know how it's going to work out. It might not be the way I want it to, but I know and I trust that my God's allowing it to happen for whatever reason, for reasons that I can understand, because I know that he's with me in this. Jesus said, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is a promise that's in condition, that's, it's a conditional promise. It's only valid in the, in the framework of God's will. doesn't mean that you can fly like a bird. Don't go up to a big rock or jump off the roof and think, nothing's impossible for me, I'm going to fly. It's only valid within the framework of God's will. When God calls you to something, nothing can stand in your way. When God says, I want you to, and you say, I can't. He goes, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Don't tempt the Lord by jumping off and trying to make a set of wings and thinking you can fly. And then look and go, well, God, there's something impossible for me. No, that's not the, that, that's not the heart behind this. When the Lord calls you and empowers you to do something, and he had given them power over demons, remember? He said, I'm giving you power over demons. Go cast them out. But they didn't persist. Their, their greatest mistake here is they quit. They stopped. One commentator explained it this way. He said, mountain-moving faith is not faith in oneself, much less faith in faith, but faith in God. It is not faith itself, no matter how great that moves mountains, but the God in whom the faith is grounded. Faith has only as much power as its object. Sometimes people have faith in faith. They believe their faith is what's going to cause them to do something. The faith is in, our faith is in God. It's in his will, his ways. It's in his promises. Our faith is in him, not in our faith. My, my, my faith is still my own ability. It's, it's got to be in the, in the Lord. Jesus was saying that nothing shall be impossible for you when you walk in obedience to me. It might take a while. It might not go as quickly as you would think. You might need to pray about it. And you might need to fast. But nothing's impossible. 
Do you realize that if the Lord calls you to endure something, that you can endure it? It's not impossible. There might be moments where you think it's impossible, but you cry out to the Lord. Say, my faith, is it in my problem? Is it in my situation? Or is it in my God? And he said to them, after telling the disciples about their lack of faith, he told them how to cast out the demon. He said, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Fasting. What's fasting? Fasting is going without food. Now, I know people will say, I'm going to do a media fast, or I'm going to do this kind of fast, or that kind of fast. And, and those are good things. That, that, that can be a healthy thing. But when the Bible speaks about fasting, you're, you're denying your fleshly desire to eat for something spiritual. You're saying, I need something from God, and it's more important that I get what I need from God than I, I, I feed my flesh the, the, the meal that I want. The meal. When you're willing to persistently pray and fast, it demonstrates something. It shows, it shows us something about you. Your dependence is on God, and it shows us the amount of faith you have. Because you know that he'll answer you in his time, and you're willing to do anything to get his answer. When it comes to your prayers, are they persistent? Or do they just fade away as a distant memory in a day or two? Do you pray for long periods of time for perhaps the same thing? Or is it just a prayer that just it pops into my head once and that's it, it's gone forever? And that's not necessarily wrong. But are there things in your life, maybe even say it this way, are there people in your life that you pray for persistently? Day in and day out. You pray for their salvation because they're not saved and you want to see them come to the Lord. Day in and day out. It's not just a, a one-time thing. Are you willing to fast for their, for their salvation? Are you willing to say, you know what, I'm going to take today, maybe from sunup to sundown, and I'm going to, I'm going to skip my meals, and not just so that I can go hungry, I'm going to, in, in the place of eating, I'm going, to, in, I'm going to take that time that I would normally spend eating, I'm going to give it to prayer. Or perhaps I'm going to take a day off work. I'm going to spend all day in prayer and fasting with my Bible in my hand as the Lord leads. You see, fasting is not just, a, it's not just skipping lunch so you can, or, or having a smoothie instead of having, some, having a hamburger. Fasting is I'm taking, I'm saying no to my body. Yes, my flesh is going to scream at me. Yes, it's going to say, I want to eat. But I'm going to tell it, no, there's something more important. I'm going to say no to it. You'd be amazed at what you can train your flesh to do. You'd be amazed what the human body can endure if you would just train it, if you would just learn to say no to it. No, you can't have that. But I'm hungry. You're going to get a headache. It's okay. It goes away after day two. At least for me, it always does. If you fast for multiple days, I'm telling you, you will get a headache. But it mine go away after the second day. You're not going to be able to sleep the second night. That's the way it goes for me when I've done it. It's the way it happens. But it's okay, that's going away. After a period of time, your body settles in and goes, okay, I guess this is the way that it is. Ask somebody who runs long distances what, they have to, what their body goes through during a long distance race. How, how they have to tell their body, is it, does it hurt? Is it painful? Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. Talk to somebody who does any type of endurance running or endurance training. It hurts, but you've got to learn to push through it. You, gotta, you don't stop when it hurts. You've you got to gotta be able to listen. to your. You don't want to hurt yourself, but you've got to know when to tell your body, hey, no, we're not stopping. We're going to keep going. Fasting is the same way. Now, and I always give this sort of warning. If you have medical reasons... There, there, are, there are people with medical reasons they should not fast. And I would say, listen 
to your doctor or talk to your doctor about that first. But if you're relatively healthy and a Christian and you're in a dry spell, you're not hearing from the Lord, you're not sure uh, on a decision that's coming up, I would encourage you fast for it. If you're facing a big decision, spend, I can't tell you how long, maybe for you it's a meal, maybe it's a day, maybe it's multiple days. I know guys that have fasted for 40 days. I've never done that long. About four days is the longest I've ever gone. But I know people that have done it for 40 days. No food, just water for 40 days. You know, because it it, it says to the Lord, Lord, what, what I need from you is more important than my life itself. I'm not willing to endure or go through. I, don't, I will not take one more step forward until I hear from you, Lord. What a, what, a, what a picture of faith. Do our prayers just fade away? Is our greatest necessity of life to hear from the Lord? What is it? What's your greatest necessity in life? Is it food? Or is it I've got to be in obedience with the Lord? I'm willing to give up everything to make sure. I want my prayers answered, Lord. And not in a, in a way, I, I, want, I want it according to his will. But I know there's certain things that are his will. You know, I can't say if it's the Lord's will to heal somebody. But I can say it's the Lord's will that someone gets saved. I can say that I'm praying for someone's salvation. And I'm willing to fast for that. I'm willing to pray for that. And I'm going to continue to pray for that. What's the most important thing in life? What is it, what is it that your body craves more than anything? Is it food? Or is it spiritual food? Spiritual nourishment? Or physical nourishment. Perhaps the greatest faith. Let me say it this way. You want to know how much faith you have? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend on your knees? And how long have you been praying for that particular thing? How, how much time, how much effort is it? are you really putting into it? And I'm convicted by this too. I look at this and go, man, there's things that are important to me, but I don't think I spend enough time praying about it. I could spend more. Anytime I ever read or study about prayer, I'm always convicted that I'm not doing it enough. And I don't think any of us could ever, I don't think, I don't know of anybody that I, could, that I would know of that says they pray too much. You know, I think we all fall short in prayer. I think we all do. I, I'm guilty sometimes of sleeping in instead of praying because I need an extra half hour sleep. But what does that really say about my faith sometimes? If I understood the power of my prayer, wouldn't I be on my knees and just be a little tired that day and get up 30 minutes earlier to pray? Wouldn't that that mean something to me? During one point of his ministry, the 19th century Christian leader, George Mueller, began to pray for for five personal friends. He wanted to see them come to Christ. He wanted to see them get saved. Five years later, the first one came to Christ. Five years he prayed for five guys or five friends. The five years later, the first one got saved. After five more years, two more became Christians. After 25 years, the fourth man was saved. 25 years. He prayed for the fifth friend until the day that he died. Until the day that he died, a few months after George Mueller passed away, that last friend came to salvation. He had been praying for him for 50 years. Don't give up. Persistence. The apostles with the demon, the mountain before them, they gave up. They quit. What should they have done? They should have prayed. 
They should have fasted. They should have pulled out every spiritual weapon that they knew. We are not giving up. We know the Lord has given us power over this, and we are not going to stop here. We are not quitting. No, no, we're not subject to him because they became subservient to the demon when they stopped. They said we are, they should have said we're not giving up. We're, we're going to employ every weapon we have. Persistence in prayer. Fasting is a serious spiritual weapon. Don't take it lightly. I'm not big in proclaiming church-wide fasts. I don't do that. I've been part of churches that do that. And, and I just, every time I've had to do it, I always felt forced to do it. I always felt like, oh, great. Here we go. I can't have, like, I had lunch plans. I have to cancel them now. You know, we're all, everybody's fasting for lunch on Tuesday. I've, I've never really liked that. But what I would encourage you to do is you seek the Lord and find out if he wants you to fast. If there's something you're praying for that you're not getting answers for, fast. You know, and, and, and maybe when you start, maybe you start out with just skipping lunch one day. And instead, and you go out to your car and you open up your Bible and you say, I'm going to pray instead of eating lunch. And yes, I'm going to be hungry the rest of the afternoon. Or maybe you go, all right, I can do that. I'm going to go from sun up to sundown. So I'm going to eat breakfast before the sun comes up, and I'm going to, I'm going to fast until the sun goes down. That's easy in the wintertime. You only have like nine, six hours of sunlight, right? It's hard in the summertime. It's eat, we're coming into winter. This is easy. It gets dark at 5 o'clock. It doesn't get light until like 7.30. But set aside that time, and then try it for a little bit longer. Are, are you willing to put forth that effort to be persistent? Now look at these last two verses. We'll just cover these last two tonight, 22 and 23. Now, while, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. They were sor- Why wouldn't they be happy that he's going to be raised up? They were sorrowful that he was going to be killed. They didn't understand what that meant. Once again, he's reminding them of what is coming. He wants them to say, hey, this is coming. They want, he wants them to see it, so when it happens, they'll remember it. Since they were sorrowful, we know they didn't really comprehend what this glorious resurrection was going to be. Also notice, too, that Jesus rarely uh, ever told them of his coming death without mentioning his resurrection. Death, but there's resurrection. Death, but there's resurrection. Death, but there's resurrection. Isn't that our life? Death is coming, right? But there's resurrection. Death, but there's resurrection. Death, but there's resurrection for us. Listen, Jesus is teaching his disciples here not how to cast out demons. He's teaching them about faith. Are you have, do you have the faith? Are you willing to be persistent? Or at the very first mountain that stands in your path, that, you, that doesn't do exactly what you want it to do, doesn't unfold exactly the way you think, you go, throw your hands up, I quit. Didn't work. Or will you become persistent in prayer? Will you break out fasting? Will you continue hanging on the promise of God? God told them, you have the power to cast out demons. They should have never given up, in my opinion. They should have stayed and prayed and fasted and said, we're not doing anything until this demon is gone. But they gave up and they went back and Jesus came out. He found them there and he took care of it. Like them, we too will find ourselves giving up. We'll find ourselves falling short because we're human. We all make mistakes. But when we find ourselves in that place, when the Lord so lovingly and gently corrects us and say, hey, why'd you give up? Don't stop praying for that. Keep praying. We just simply repent and say, Lord, forgive us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. We're, we're, we're not perfect. We make mistakes, but yet you love us anyways. 
And you know what he says? Okay, I will. He doesn't get mad at us. He loves us. Lord, have mercy on me. I do. I will. I will. I love you just the way that you are. And I'm not done with you yet. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep molding you. I'm going to keep shaping you. And I'm going to help you build that faith. That, that little bit of faith, we're going to grow it together. But I need, you to, I need you to trust me in this. So if you find yourself facing a difficult circumstance tonight, a mountain, where's your faith? Put it in the Lord. Trust he's got your best at heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we need you to have mercy on us. We need you to understand, and you do, that we fall short, just like the disciples. And Lord, it's so easy to look back at their lives and look back at other people's lives and point our finger at their mistakes. Yet it's so difficult to look at our own life objectively. So Lord, we ask you to do that. Would you be the one that searches our heart? Lord, if we've given up prayer on someone that we shouldn't or something that we shouldn't, would you convict us of that? If we need to be fasting and we're not, would you convict us on that as well? Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We want to be a people that doesn't fail to use the power that you've given us. Lord, we want to use all the power that you've given us. We know that we have the Holy Spirit in us and upon us. Lord, may we use all that you've entitled us or given us so that we might not miss out on any part of it. And Lord, help us with that. And Lord, if we need to repent about something tonight, may we do so. May we just remember how much you love us. May we hang on your promises. May we walk with you simply and lovingly. In Jesus' name.